Hello and welcome to Fact Schmacks. It's the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name's Matt and I've got a story to tell you. My name's Kev. I have a story to interrupt. Kevin. Matthew. Have you heard oh God. that St. <laughs> John, Newfoundland recently had a contest to name their eight snowplows? Do you yes. want to know what the, the winning names were? Yes, I, I read this and I loved it. Uh, but <laughs> so the ahead. winning names were Plow Chicka Plow Plow. Plow Chicka Plow Plow. Thank you. Skip the Ditches. Oh. <laughs> Nor'easter Beaster. That's amazing. Reversing Snowfalls. Reversing Snowfalls. Yeah, that one might be a reference that I don't quite understand, but, uh, you know, good. it's a good name, sure. I guess. Okay. Uh, Port City Pusher. Okay. Uh, Froster Thurston. Froster Thurston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fast and Flurious. <laughs> I like that. I uh I have a And And Kevin. Is it Kevin? Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> I had a um I had a uh periodically I've thought about like getting like a, a little bike riding club together. You know, when I do a charity walk or anything, I always like to name the team the slow and the curious. absolutely love it well what what do you want to do first kev so i guess i want to do a little call back to our special edition of fact uh full of hot air as we said we would as we said we would we're we're really working on our follow-up right now uh trying to get on the wagon on that uh, it turns out uh, not much has happened in the uh, roughly weeks, five days since we recorded that. They haven't really found anything. We don't really know what anything was. Probably they say it's nothing. They spent about $2 million, I believe, shooting these things down. Uh, the whole thing seems to be much ado about nothing. Largely the... Uh, you know, the news community has moved on from these stories. I still want to believe, of course, that there is some kind of aliens and that this is the standard. Oh, it was just a weather balloon cover up. But, you know, that's where we're at. That's our follow up. But Matthew, I'm going to deliver yes. to you a fact schmacks game about hot air balloons. Okay. So let's let's right. let's talk about something that we do know about hot air balloons. The first one's going to be free today, Matt, because I, right. I had a hard time picking, so I thought I'd just throw an extra one in there. Here's your free fact, sir: a rooster, a duck, and a sheep walk into a bar. Walk into a bar? Yeah, that's where <laughs> I was going with that. But uh, we're the first hot air balloon passengers. Oh, in 1783, cool. the first hot air balloon was set to fly over the heads of Louis the 16th, Marie Antoinette, and the French court in Versailles. Like monkeys in space, this odd assortment of animals was chosen to test the effects of flight. Sheep, thought to be similar to people, would show the effects of altitude on a land dweller, while ducks and roosters, which could already fly, albeit at different heights, would act as controls in the experiment. The balloon flew on a tether for eight minutes, rising 1,500 feet in the air 
and traveling two miles before being brought safely to the ground. The animals were unharmed. Now, can we discuss the length of that tether? Sorry, how long was the tether? 1,500 feet in the air, traveling two miles. So did it remain fixed in one place and travel 1,500 feet up and then two miles out? Or did somebody run with it like a kite? I have to think somebody ran with it like a kite. Or like, you know, that that balloon that you get when you're a kid and you're super excited about it, but you always lose. Wait a minute. Hang on. So was 1,500 feet just the you know, kind of the buoyancy break even point, the, maybe the vertical distance. Uh, I don't have any, uh, information if on if the tether's two miles and, and 1500 feet long, why didn't it rise up to two miles? Right. Yeah. No one's on there to control it. Yeah. So that only works. If factor schmack, Matt, in 1808, ah! oh. <laughs> two Frenchmen found themselves in a love triangle with Mademoiselle Trevette a celebrated opera dancer, and took to the skies above Paris for a duel. While a crowd gathered below to watch what they thought was a balloon race, the men pulled out blunderbusses and aimed at each other's balloons. Two shots were fired, one balloon was punctured, and crashed to the buildings below, killing its occupant. The other man descended to the ground unharmed and presumably gained the maiden's hand. (laughs) (laughs) No notes. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Factor schmacked, Matt. Yes. The War of 1812 had a balloon corps. Seldom remembered or recognized as the first instance of aerial warfare, the British employed air balloons to reconnoiter American positions. Major General Brock used the balloons to also harass advancing forces by dropping rudimentary grenades and small cannonballs called grape shot along the Niagara River. It's not known whether or not this was effective, but it is thought to have had a psychological effect on enemy combatants. What was that word that <clears throat> you used? Reconnoiter. Rec- Reconnoiter. It's recon. You knew exactly what word I was going to go for. Yeah. I was talking about there. Is that a real word? Reconnoiter. It's recon. It's just a long form. Really? Fact. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. What no recon's reconnaissance. Factor schmacked, Matt. <laughs> I think reconnoiter is like no, factor schmacked. We're just moving on from this. We're not getting hung up on this. The first aircraft disaster occurred in May 1785 when the town of Tullamore, County Offaly in Ireland was seriously damaged when the crash of a balloon resulted in a fire that burned down about a hundred houses, making the town the first aviation disaster. Home of the first aviation disaster, sorry. What you looking at me like that for? Balloon starts reconnoiter. Let's go back to you wanna go back to reconnoiter? <laughs> no. It's fine. We can move on. Yeah. I wasn't looking at you like that. I was thinking about how a balloon starts a fire that it's burns a hot down air balloon, houses. dude. It has heat, a little like bit hot, of fuel, a little bit of fuel. Yeah. What's it going to be? Where are you going? Well, with this now one? I think it's that third one based on your <laughs> defense there. <laughs> I'm gonna go with. Uh, okay, so we got two guys shooting blunderbusses at each other's balloons. I absolutely love that idea. Sure. 
I can believe it happened. All sorts of shit was happening in Paris at the time. There was the guy that tried to build a wingsuit and jump off the Eiffel Tower. They let him do that. Dude, Why weren't people having duels in the sky? That's Felix Baumgartner. That's the... Uh that's the dude who did the for this parachute. No, he's like the wing guy, isn't he? Felix Baumgartner. Who's the guy that has the uh, jetpack? Isn't he the same guy no, that did the parachute drop? I'm talking about Doesn't a guy matter. who Which one is died it? in Paris in TikTok. like 1800s. I think it's the third one. And that, sir, is how Kev gets a victory. Uh, the schmacked was, was that the War of 1812 had a balloon corps. In fact, though, the Civil War had a balloon corps established by Abraham Lincoln. The balloon corps had seven balloons, at least 12 gas generators, and a flat-top balloon barge that used to be an old steamboat. The balloons, which had names like Intrepid, were used to spy on enemy movement from as far as 15 miles away. Not to be outdone, the Confederates made their own balloon out of fine dress silk, that was eventually captured by the Union Army. The balloon corps disbanded in 1863. As it turns out, giant balloons made pretty good targets for shoot shooting during combat. Oh, oh but they did that, actually that make an appearance back in uh, World War World War One again. So there was a time when you could defend yourself against balloons with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. Uh, they actually did make an appearance again in World War One. Forward artillery observers would use balloons to, you know, dial in the artillery. Uh, they were often, you know, obviously targets for snipers and just you know, anybody with a rifle, which is pretty much everybody. So, yeah, there's your fact schmacks for the day. Give me a That's- goddamn story. Well, that was really <laughs> that was really wonderful. And sometimes there is. An unconscious, because, you know, famously, as much as we're famous for anything, uh, <laughs> which is zero, um, Zip. famously, you do not know what we're about to talk about. I never I tell not. you what, what the subject is going to be. But sometimes, just through sheer happenstance, we've done enough of these, you come up with a fact that nicely ties in with what the oh, story yeah? is going to be. <laughs> Okay. Which I, uh, I'm quite happy. Quite happy about that. Um, American author Maria Konnikova once said, fraud really thrives in moments of great social change and transition. We're in the midst of a technological revolution. That gives con artists huge opportunities. People lose their frame of reference for what can and can't be real. Now, I'm going to start this story actually with a question for you, and I'll answer this question honestly, I will. You might be embarrassed, you might not want to answer this, but have you ever been scammed? Yeah, actually, uh, I got uh, ripped off for weed once, twice, two times. Ah. Yeah, back in the day. I wasn't very street Now, that savvy. sort of thing, anything other than that, like any actual, what you'd consider an actual scam, not uh, like just someone flaking out on you. I mean, aside from believing the American dream, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian dream, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, I Which don't is, think uh, so. peace order and good governance. I don't think, no, I don't think so. 
I I actually I will say that I have. I once bought a a dodgy watch off a street merchant. I felt really <laughs> foolish <laughs> afterwards. I brought it home and showed my parents. It's a Rodex moron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the guy said Timex. To be fair, it wasn't. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it looks like a nice watch. Could be a Timex. I don't know. And it was in you know our hometown, which is so small. I just never even occurred to me that somebody would be hawking shady merchandise how, on the street. How much did you uh, pay for it? Twenty dollars, not well, anything outlandish. I mean, that should know, have been back a red in flag. the day. Back in the day, and I, yeah, I didn't have much money at the time. So back in the day, that's twenty my, bucks was twenty bucks. That's yeah. my experience being on that side of fraud. I I had uh, when I worked for a bank. Uh, I worked for one of the big big banks in Canada. Uh, a lot of experience uh, with fraud. You know, help trying to protect people from. Uh, there was one lady once who just asking the basic question that I had asked, had to ask all the time when I opened up an account for somebody was, hey, did anybody tell you to come in here and open this for them? Some lady was like, yeah, my uh, this this guy I've been talking to online wanted me to go open a bank account and had to be like, oh, oh, honey, you were you're being oh, catfished. Sucks. I've had to have some real bummer conversations with people about fraud. But I digress. We are going to be talking about a fraud today. We're going to be talking about the affair of the diamond necklace, which sounds very luxurious, does it not? Sure does. Can Let's I just, go back. Oh, can sorry. I add just... <clears throat> Absolutely. Excuse me, sorry. Can I just add uh, one thing about fraudsters? Uh, do you get the call lately? I get these a lot where they're like, Oh, there's been suspicious purchases on your Amazon account of $400 and another one of $1,000. And then you talk to the guy and the, the ruse is basically that they convince you to share your screen with them so they can reset all your stuff. And then they take over your computer and ransom it. I haven't been getting... Well, <laughs> I like to talk to those guys. I you spend do? a lot... Yeah. yeah, I spend a lot of time. I'll just be like, oh my God, that's terrible. And... You know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, yeah, the purchase. Uh, and I'll say, like, what was it? And they'll be like, oh, it was a uh, $800 uh, uh, iPhone, iPhone 12. And I was like, oh, it's only 800 bucks. That's a steal of a deal. I think that was something I ordered. And they hang <laughs> up and like, or I'll be like, oh, which card was it? And they're like, uh, uh, click. But sometimes I get them right through all the way to the part where they're like, you know, log into your whatever and. I have some fun with them. I've, I've spent about 15 minutes on the phone with one once while I was doing dishes and stuff and was just kind of... Uh, Can I tell you, I... Uh, they won't pick up the phone for me anymore. Like, I'll still get the calls for, you know, press... You, your your press visa yeah. has been hacked or sure. whatever, press whatever. But when I press the button, <laughs> they just immediately hang up on me. And I'll tell you how I did it. They heard your voice. Oh, that's really harsh. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're uh, we're looking at each other here. You can see there's a drum kit behind me. So I would every time I got the call and I was close enough to you know to the drum kit, I would answer the call and then just put the receiver right up to the oh. symbol and start wailing on it as soon as they picked up. So oh, that's nice. I like that. It was mean. Uh, it is mean, but they are trying to scam. Sure, like I have no quarter money. for I've, people like that. I've had to yeah. help a couple people through uh, a little side hustle there, who've been ransomed, and it's it's just sad because they're they're just you know nice people. I've seen it happen to three oh. people. 
Yeah, my the experience of the, the bank, year. believe me, let me tell you, I've there's a I've target saved there. A, yeah, I've saved a few people from being scammed, but for the most part, I've I've just dealt with people after they've been yeah it scammed sucks, and it man. always it always sucks yeah it's yeah, always absolutely. it's always older folks too with the tech stuff but tell me about this uh diamond necklace what's this mm-hmm. about let's let's go back to the 1780s in oh, france okay we're we're gonna oh, tell a story about we got some <laughs> yeah. hot air balloons getting invented <laughs> uh we're going to tell a story about three people who are the main players and one big scam. Okay. Now, the first person, Jean Lamotte, born to a family with a supposed illegitimate lineage to Henry II. So she was descended from a guy who was a bastard uh, of Henry II, who was a French king from the 1500s, I believe. Okay, like a cousin of an aunt who was your uncle at one point. No, it's like her grandpa or something. Oh, okay. was, her great grandpa was uh, was was the the bastard in question. Sure. Um, and oh, I like he was being a bastard use, of the king. Okay, okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah. So an illegitimate, illegitimate. You know. Okay. Um. So when she was young, uh, her parents would have her go on the street and and beg, basically saying, "I'm I'm a poor, you know, wretch descended illegitimately." Boy. No, uh, but uh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, descended illegitimately from you know Henry the Second. Please show pity and give me some money. When she got older, she she kind of made a little dough by essentially going to the royal court and and saying to them, "Hey, like you know, I'm I'm technically descended from Henry the Second, so give me some money or or do whatever." And if they, she must have been charming. Because they apparently seemed to indulge her. They didn't, like, just kill her, which is the sort of thing that maybe would have happened... Back in the day. uh, Back in the day. uh, Earlier than that. She married a military man uh, whose name I didn't write down in my research. (laughs) Uh, His name's not really important. But despite all that, they're living... You know, she's, she's getting money from from the court and she's kind of pulling little scams here and there and uh he's getting his his military pay but you know they're they're kind of living paycheck to paycheck they're not really highfalutin or anything man it must have been so hard living back in the day like that not like us <laughs> lucky folks <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> God damn uh, it. The, the reason that that's um you know that that's Part of the story is because that that will that makes her markedly different from anybody else in this story. Uh, the second character, Louis René Edouard de Rohan. Henceforth, oh, we're just going to call him Rohan. Rohan, sure. Rohan. He's born in 1734 to the Rohan clan, uh, which is a prominent political family in France at the time. Uh, he's also, you know, he's a political figure in the church and in the French court. Also, a noted ladies' man. People just absolutely loved this guy. Well, ladies absolutely loved this guy. For the most part. We'll see. We'll get there. Hang on. Don't interrupt me. Uh, I can't promise anything. (laughs) In 19... Sorry, 19. In 1772, Rohan was made an envoy to Vienna. Envoy. Uh, And he did that... Envoy. Sorry. I said envoy. Semantics. Semantics. 
he does that until 1777. But uh, while he's there, he gains a rep for having some pretty banging parties, pretty wild parties with with interesting with interesting arrangements of people. A key a key ball. No. Not quite, but I guess maybe like the 1777 equivalent of a Was there a shag carpet in this castle? I have no idea. All right. But what he would do, you see, like back in the day, if you were part of like a highfalutin society type of thing, um, you have uh, like sorry, a big... L- just one question. Did you just yeah. learn that phrase? No. I because you've used it twice times, today. I yeah, I have. Usually when I use a phrase, I try to tell everybody that I know the phrase by using it a lot. So I just wanted to check. No, it's just that it's because we're talking about the upper crust. Okay. And uh, that's okay. just my, I don't know. That's my right, shorthand for I'm just it, doing I my guess. job here. Don't yell at me. Carry on. I'm t- <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. I, let's, this is let's my juice. This is my magic juice right here. <laughs> but you see, here's here's the thing. Um, back in the day, if you were part of the upper crust, uh, you would go to a party and they'd seat you at a big ass long table, basically in accordance to your rank, which if you're going to a lot of like parties in the same area, that means you're sitting with the same group of jackasses, you know, to your right and left with very few movement every time. What this guy would do, he had this revolutionary idea of having a bunch of small tables and putting different types of people at those tables so you could maybe have an interesting conversation fucking imagine that right yeah i was gonna say this sounds like my 20s where i was surrounded by you know you and some of our other friends constantly Mm-hmm. and <laughs> same low cast of society people, people seem to you know some people seem to really like that have uh think about that you know there you go you have dinner with rohan you're, you're maybe the the court baker and you're always sat next to the court pant maker on one side and the court, uh, you know, lawn keeper on the other. But then you go to one of Rohan's parties and maybe you get to talk to a butcher and a, and a sheep shearer. Then when you go back to, to the guys you're always sitting with, now you got new stuff to talk to them about. Hey, sure. I was talking to this, you know, sheep shearer. You'll never believe the shit he has to deal with. So it just, you know, I've made everybody happy. One, one thing it did make me think of when I was learning about that, it is kind of funny how some of the people who would have been sitting at these tables would have had experiences to us that would have been absolutely unimaginable experiences in battle or politics or whatever. Uh, but like for them, an absolutely wild experience is like mingling out of class. Yeah, yeah. The class yeah. thing, I just, you know, I don't know. It's kind of funny. A lot of people were were big fans of his fancy small tables or unfancy small tables, unpretentious small tables, maybe. But there was somebody who was not a big fan. And that person was Holy Roman Empress Maria Theresa. She did not like it one bit. She complained about it to anybody who would listen. And in turn, he roasted her ass to anybody who would listen to him. They did not like each other. They had a beef. Now, it's probably not the best idea for him, being somebody who is French nobility, kind of in court, to be starting a feud with Maria Theresa, because at this point, her daughter was already 
the Dauphine, Dauphine, I'm not sure how to pronounce that word, of France, which is essentially their version of the crown princess. Uh, future queen, Marie Antoinette. That's who this who is, uh, head of the church chick was. But hold on. Holy Roman okay. Empire, her daughter is Marie Antoinette. Holy Roman who is, I, for some reason, I thought Holy Roman Church. Uh, I mean, they were, yeah, they were kind of intertwined. Anyways. Uh, carry on. But that's right. One of history's most prominent scapegoats is the third person in our story. The cake? Is that the cake lady? Yes. Okay. Born to Austrian royalty, married to French royalty, and eventually killed during the French Revolution. Marie Antoinette was very much aware of how Rohan had been beefing with her mom. And Dude, she did so not funny. like it. Or him. That's so funny that our fact had Mary Antoinette in it. That's what I was saying. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So in in 1784, all three of these people uh, who don't necessarily know each other very well are in Versailles. Uh, Rohan is serving as Grand Almoner, which is some sort of political post or Dude, religious post. I'm not I even sure. I didn't look it up. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still just reeling from the fact that my fact was 1783 in Versailles with that person. That's crazy. Yeah. Great minds think alike. We have finally synergized on this show. <laughs> Our two brain cells finally <laughs> worked together. Stumbling around in the dark, <laughs> found each other. Yeah. <laughs> Monkeys and typewriters and all that. <laughs> now, like I said, uh, Rohan serving as Grand Almoner, but he has larger ambitions. He actually wants to be Prime Minister, but he feels like he cannot get to that post because Marie Antoinette at this point is queen, and she hates him a lot. Um, Jean had just moved close to Versailles in her never-ending quest to get some cash out of her royal connections. By chance, she meets Rohan. And by chance, she finds out that he has an issue with the queen. Now, she's already kind of an aspiring confidence woman at this point. I, I don't know about directly, but she's doing certainly sort of confidence woman things. Being a con woman. A con woman, right. Confidence yes, yes. being the the long form of the shorthand con person. Not unless you're talking about convict. That's a different kind of con. We're talking about we're talking about the swindling kind of con. We're not talking about the convention kind of con. Move full con uh gonna try to We're make not a talking about the Shatner kind of con. <clears throat> That's K A H N. Right. We're talking about uh, confidence woman, a con right. lady. Anyways, um, so Jean had an idea. She engineered running into Rohan again at Versailles because apparently uh, it was more or less, there were parts of it that were more or less open to the public. And when she did run into him, she tells him a grinchy little lie that she's there to see Marie Antoinette because guess what? What? They're good friends. Her oh. Uh-huh. Oh, and hey, didn't I hear that you don't get along with her? Something about her mother. Tell you what, how about you write a letter to my best friend, Marie Antoinette? I'll deliver it to her, and then if she has a letter to get back to you, I'll be your go-between. Uh, and Rohan, not 
having any way to really check if this was true uh, and being apparently a pretty credulous person, uh, he wrote a letter <laughs> probably apologizing for all the things he said about her mom. And wouldn't you know, he gets a response. What did he say about her? What did he say about her mom? Here's the thing. We're going to get into it later, but there is no surviving record of any of these letters. Were they like, yo, mama so fat? I was wrote, Okay, is this story going to be titled The Origin of the Mama Joke? No. Okay. <laughs> Carry on. Because, I mean, like maybe, but we're already past that. I point. will keep making jokes until one lands. All right. <laughs> <laughs> As I do. <laughs> So again, wouldn't you know it, he gets a response and he starts sort of exchanging the occasional letter with uh, the queen, which was obviously Gene just catfishing him, like yeah. straight up. Yeah. So after a while, you know, he's not really getting any vibes when he happens to see her in court that he's, you know, corresponding with her. She still kind of seems to straight up hate him in public. So he wants to engineer some sort of meeting you know, a more personal meeting because it's hard to actually like, you know. Yeah, you can't. She's tell writing letters. Text. Would like to meet you. Uh oh, what do you do? Well, lucky for Jean, her husband was getting a little lucky on the side with a lady who looked a lot like Mary Marie Antoinette. So no they, yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. I probably yeah, should have just steamrolled so like They must have had like kind of an open relationship. and Clearly there's yeah, some sort of understanding go, happening yeah. here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, they, she arranges a, through this, these letters a clandestine meeting uh, between Rohan and the queen. Uh, she dolls up her husband's mistress and puts on a powdered wig and makeup on and all that and has her silently approach Rohan in like a garden or something in the middle of the night and pass him a note and then slip away. So he kind of interprets interprets this as like an intention to keep their correspondence on the down low. They fooled him. Didn't have to talk to him. Just like slip in, slip out the letter and then get the hell out of there. Um, he bought this shit hook, line, and sinker. So now he's completely convinced, right? Not long after that, he receives a letter from the queen asking for a large sum of money to help a family in need. And he sent it along. A few months later, uh, he got a similar letter asking for a larger sum of money. And he sent that money along, too. Gene, uh, who had been writing the letters, used that money to advance herself socially and buy herself a house, her and her husband, who's still along with her. You know, they've, they're have uh, they business partners, apparently. Um, anyways, hey, you, you do your marriage Whatever wise. arrangement works, yeah. Absolutely. This is the uh, 16th. Uh, 18th century? It'd be 18th, 18th century. century. Yeah. yeah. It's always like, wow. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah. So uh, she also started openly boasting at that time about her fake friendship with the queen. I guess figuring like, if work wants, maybe it's going to get me more stuff now. Um, 
around that time, because she was boasting about her relationship with the uh, the queen, she became aware of the world's most expensive necklace. In fact, the jewelers who had crafted it approached Jean to try and get her to broker a deal between them and Marie Antoinette uh, to for her, for Marie Antoinette to buy the necklace. Uh, a little bit about this necklace, according to author Jonathan Beckman. The necklace comprised 684 diamonds weighing 2,800 carats. I didn't know carats was a weight, but uh, a measurement of weight. I thought it was like maybe density or something. Uh, Anyways, I don't understand that. Yeah. I wear no uh, Grotesque. Continuing the quote now, sorry. Uh, grotesque and almost literally unbearable, it more resembled an item of chain mail than a coveted piece of jewelry. It would have been worth uh, about $15.1 million U.S. dollars in 2021, to give you an idea of how many stones were in this thing. It was commissioned by Louis XV for his mistress... He died while it was being made, and his grandson, who wound up being the next king, Louis XVI, didn't have any use for the mistress. And uh, so he offered the necklace to Marie Antoinette, his wife, and she refused it. So he had no use for the necklace either. So the jewelers who made this, you know, by our standard, $15.1 million necklace are now on the hook for it holding on to a piece of jewelry that like five people in the world could afford to buy and the person that would be most convenient for them to buy has absolutely no interest in it. One of them, uh, there's a these two brothers I think made it, one of them actually showed up uh, and like groveled to Marie Antoinette basically saying, I am, we're ruined if you don't buy this thing from us. You know, we made it on good faith. Um, if if you don't buy it, I'm going to go outside right now and drown myself. And she essentially told him, if you do that, that's not on my hands. You do you. But like, hey, split it up and sell it. Figure it out. I don't yeah. know. Not my problem. The thing's like, ugly as fuck. I don't want it. Right. Cool. I've been offered it. Didn't want it. Turned it down once. Sort your own shit out is what she told him. And like, well, fair enough. Right? Ah, well, I don't know. Deal with the old king. I, I get it. Anyways. Matt is pausing for a large swig of the beer. I was really hoping you you'd have went something on to say pretty there. good there. I didn't want to interrupt you because you were really <laughs> on a roll. And I while desperately it is my wanted job, a drink. I kind of wanted you to, I wanted to see where we were going with this. So here we are. Uh, the, um, the, the jewelers had approached Jean to try and broker a deal, uh, between her and, and Marie Antoinette or between Marie Antoinette and the jeweler. Jean doesn't actually know Marie Antoinette. <laughs> so she initially, I think she initially turned the, the jeweler down and then had a great idea and was like, oh wait, no, I can, I can make this work. So she, she tells the jeweler, yeah, no, I, you know what? Yeah, Absolutely. For a commission, for sure. I will. Uh, I'll figure this out. She sent a letter to Rohan from the Queen, uh, asking Rohan to go and um, negotiate this deal. 
between the jeweler and the queen. You know, she's going to she she sends him this letter saying, you know, you're authorized to buy it. I want to do this in secret because I don't want the king to know, um, even though he'd offered her the necklace in the first place. Should have been a red flag. Uh, but um, yeah, so he goes to the jeweler and he promises on behalf of the queen, you know, in quotes. I can't do quotes on a podcast. I'm trying to sarcastic it up. <laughs> Can you use sarcastic in a present tense like that? I don't, I'm not sure. Sarcast? Anyways. Like sarcast? Sarc- yeah. I don't think so, I no. I doubt it. No. Never heard anyone do it. Um, anyways, he promises that the queen's going to pay the jewelers two million livres, which, again, that's like the 15.1 million we were talking about before. Right. Uh, with the first installment coming shortly. So Rohan walks away with the necklace and takes it to Jean, which is what the letter told him to do. Uh, She took the necklace from him, and apparently Rohan sat there while a man came to the door, who she told him was a valet from the queen, and took the necklace away, never to be seen again. Apparently they hacked it into pieces, took it to Paris, and sold it for about 10% of what it was worth. That's still, I mean, that's still a lot of cheddar back in the day. Oh, yeah. That was the biggest the, uh, store they ever had. Oh, for sure. So so Jean, she had kind of covered her tracks in one of the letters. She'd said, you know, she, the queen's not going to wear it publicly because she's still trying to keep it. You know, she's waiting until she can tell the, the, the king at a good time that she'd spend money. You know, times are tough. Wouldn't be good for, for public perception if people saw me wearing this thing, all that. But that sort of thing can only last so long. Uh, particularly the jeweler grew very impatient after he didn't get paid. So he initially, I think, approached Jean. She tried to, you know, smooth things over. Oh, it's coming, it's coming. Um, and then he went straight to the queen and, and you know, showed Gigs the correspondence. Up. Yeah, like basically showed the receipts he had. Queen's like, yeah, I'd, I'd never, <laughs> I have no, that, no idea what the hell you're talking about. So Rohan was publicly apprehended, kind of publicly humiliated. Um, And as someone who is essentially an officer of the court, it was, like, to be fair, it was kind of borderline inconceivable that he'd been tricked with some pretty obviously fake letters. Apparently one of them was signed incorrectly, like the sort of thing that maybe there's some typos in there. He could have picked up. Should have picked up on. Yeah, he was sent to Bastille. Uh, which is a prison. Uh, Before they took him away, he was able to send a letter home instructing his servants to burn all of his correspondence from the freak queen. So that's why we don't have that half of the letters. So hold up here a minute, because he's kind of, he's not the ultimate victim, but he's a victim. What was he sentenced for? Like just being stupid? He hasn't been sentenced for anything. He was arrested. they, They took him to a prison. Well, I mean, he went there and he negotiated the deal. So he's he is the person who ultimately perpetrated the fraud. Right, but he was... We'll get, we'll get to he, that. Okay, all right. Story's not over. This is a lot, Matt. Yes, he was arrested for his role in it. Um, Gene, on the other hand, wasn't arrested for another three days, which gave her ample opportunity to burn her half of the letters. Uh, and that's why we have no idea what was said in any of these letters. They all, they were all burned. 
uh, except maybe the very last one where Rohan, where, that Rohan had used to um, negotiate the, the sale of okay. the of the the actual uh, diamond. The, the, the jeweler might have had a copy of that. Uh, so they go to trial. Um, Gene has like a regular uh, sort of uh, judge trial. Rohan being an officer of the, the the court, he got to have sort of a parliamentary trial, which turned the whole thing political. Uh, so rather than being a really quiet thing, which maybe would have happened if she had quietly arrested him, I get the feeling he did this to kind of get back at her. But he turned this whole thing into a political circus. And by the time it was all done, he got a slap on the wrist, but it was found that he was a victim too. Um, he, he ultimately his punishment. I think he got stripped of one or two of his titles, and basically he was banished from the from Versailles any time the king and queen were in Versailles. So if they're in Versailles, he has to leave. That's basically the extent of his uh, his punishment for his role in in this giant uh, scam. Jean, on the other hand. Uh, she is found guilty. Uh, basically, everything is pinned on her and her husband. There were some other people that were arrested too. There was a counterfeiter who had been involved in the whole thing. You know, he he didn't get as I think he got off too. Um, you know, my research is a little fuzzy here. Uh, but she got lashed and branded and then sent to jail for life. Ooh. However, oh. a year after she was sent to jail, she was able to escape by dressing up as a boy. Jesus. She was sent to some, like, prostitute's jail. So she dressed up as a boy and essentially walked out of jail. And nobody really went after her to bring her back. It's kind of speculated that she had friends in high places who felt bad for her. and A prostitute's, um, like, a jail for prostitutes or a jail where people were made into prostitutes? Because I think that flew back in the day. You know, I didn't look it up because... That did occur to me. I didn't look it up because I was really horrified to find the answer. I don't think either's good. Yeah. That's like the whole um uh you know, the band Joy Division. Yeah. You know about I know that? the band do you personally. Know the, do you know the meaning of the name? No, I don't. The Joy Division was either it was either in reference to German or Japanese division of prostitutes, and it was often uh women who were oh. forced into prostitution. And they would travel yeah. around to various army units, and they were called the Joy Division. Oh. So there's a little thing to ruin that band for you. God damn you. <laughs> it's fact, dude. That's not a schmack. Now, I don't know the deeps of it, but that is the, the general sense of the origin of the name. As the dust settled in this whole affair, not to just completely well past your Joy Division thing, yeah, there, I'm just wrapping up. fact, but well, it was a good fact. I'm just wrapping up the story, man. Okay, I'm wrap it up. The finish line. Wrap it up. <laughs> In a weird way, uh, the public sympathized with uh, both Rohan and Jean and decided that Marie Antoinette was actually maybe the villain in all of this. To the public, a conspiracy arose that she'd been, she'd used Jean and the necklace to get back at Rohan for disrespecting her mother. And that conspiracy kind of followed her around for, well, the rest of her life, frankly, because she was killed in 1793, only nine years after the affair of the diamonds. I her feel reputation, like that's not an only nine years. That's like a lot of years. That's a lot of years, but 
especially for for royalty. Uh, she had a quite eventful bunch of years in the time. There's not nearly enough time to go over it. We should do an episode on Marie Antoinette specifically someday because she had a very interesting life. Um, but the situation, you know, in those years was pretty volatile. Eventually, she did get beheaded during the French Re- Revolution, famous for, you know, apparently saying let them eat cake when talking about... Uh, and isn't that kind of when Napoleon came in or no? Um... I'm fuzzy yeah, on I, this, all this stuff. Like, I don't know. We need to do I an episode fun, on it, I think. I, I want to know, but I want you to do the research. Yeah, I'd love to get into word <laughs> and edgewise here. I had a conversation with my, <laughs> with my wife earlier today where I said, uh, or she, she, I was telling her about what we were doing the podcast about, and she said, you know, I don't know much about French history. And I said, holy shit, me neither. I don't know a fucking thing about it. I know there's a lot of surrendering. No, there isn't. They no, were I know, I know. Really, I know. Just, that was like the joke back in the with the two world wars, right? Yeah, they well, took a lot of heat world on war. that. They didn't surrender in the first world war. No, just the listen. It's just me. It's the second rambling. world war. Yeah, second world war for sure. They were absolute lions in the first world war. Sure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. And, uh, you know, you got the whole Napoleon thing, right? Like, yeah, we got to cover uh, we got to cover him and Marie Antoinette, maybe the French Revolution. Mm. All that Fr- uh, speaking of the French Revolution, <laughs> last little fact here. When uh, when Marie Antoinette was beheaded, her last words as recorded were and this is English translation. I'm not going to do the French, even though I am Canadian and I've got a tremendous French accent if i need to have no i don't i'm brutal um her last words were pardon me sir i did not do it on purpose after she accidentally stepped on her executioner's foot man that's the shittiest last words ever it's kind of sad i think she got a real bum rap but we'll we'll get to that in a future mary marie antoinette episode i'll be looking forward i gotta stop calling her mary antoinette i know it's like the uh Easy, easy way to do it. I that was an interesting story, Matt. I've never heard yeah. that story before. Um, it's kind of fascinating. It's funny the how... The Affair like, of the Diamonds. Yeah, it's funny how, um, you know, Scammon's as old as, old as can be. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, scamming crime really goes back to the all of the same old evils that... Uh, that we all picked up since hunter gathering, apparently, according to some people. I think that's probably mostly true. Was Rohan th- thinking that he was kind of gonna get get busy with the queen, or what? Like, was this gonna be a romantic thing, or was it just strictly a political advantage that he was hoping to glean out of this relationship? That's a great question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> now, I, I and. <laughs> Sometimes I say that's a great question when I have no idea what the answer is, and I just repeat that's you're, a great are question. You just I do no, I do have a bit to add to this. So she did have she was famous for being a bit unconventional and getting to know some of the male people in her court. Now I don't know how much to read into that. Like I said, I don't know a whole lot about French history, and I don't know if that's just like you know she was one of the dudes and. And could hang, or if uh, if if she was she getting was down, up on it. 
right? Uh-huh. I don't yeah. know. I don't sure. know. Well, I guess... I know uh, she she got beheaded. I know she apparently said, let the meat cake. Yeah, that's the extent of what Or I, I know she apparently her. didn't say, let the meat cake. Yeah, apparently it was a rumor. And she never really said it. I don't know. Well, I mean, you've summed up TBD. everything I know about her in like... Two facts that might she not was, be facts. Yeah. Speaking of facts, do you have Speaking anything? That, do you have anything to add on this? Were you, were you at? Um, I think like it's <clears throat> it's an incredible scam. The way they pulled it off, sure. Like, like any lo- scam, and it's a long game too. Like they they played that for a while. Yeah. yeah, I think there was a way for them to have landed it. But not once they did the necklace thing. I think when they were just pulling money from him, like if I'm giving scam advice, I think they could have eventually just like, you know, staged a falling out in the letters and then Rahan's just back to square one. But Maybe, once they drag the letter, someone's on the hook but then, for 15 mil, like that's not just going to go away. Though that's what I'm saying. Once the yeah. Once they bring the necklace into it, when it was just... Hey, I, um, you know, for my charitable efforts, I need you to donate some money to this family in need, and like the family in need is is Jean. Yeah, that's that's the needy family. So she I think got that, away. They could have kept she, you in that. She was free and clear. She probably went on to scam again and just. Well, they all wrote memoirs, except well, so two of them wrote memoirs. Uh, apparently, but I didn't read them yeah. because they're probably in French. Probably, and they're probably in like old timey French that you just wouldn't even know what the hell they're talking about. Oh, great question! Is there old timey French? Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Like there's old timey English, right? Right. Presumably, just, language isn't the, static anywhere. About them. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. know what you wouldn't know what somebody like if you read actual Shakespeare, like straight off the page Shakespeare that he'd written. I bet. Now is that. Do they have that? I don't know. I feel like it'd be really hard to figure out. Like, doth thou wanteth? You know, like all that stuff that they've just kind of dropped out of the vernacular. Yeah, like that weird ty sort of thing. Or yeah, um, yeah. That's a good question. Maybe I'm. I'm sure. Maybe we can pretend that we're going to follow up with it in the next episode. (laughs) What do you think? Oh, well, you can I'm write it on it my little notepad here. Put it on your little notepad. Old We're trying to be better. Tiny French. Hey, if you're listening to the show and you like it, be sure to uh, you know say hey in the socials. Tell us what you liked. You will like, have an excellent little... opportunity to interact with Kevin, and I promise you, you won't have to interact with me at all. Yeah, no, it's all it's all me. <laughs> Everything after the show is this guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you know anything about old timey French, uh, if you know any facts that we missed here that we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I have a closing fact that's kind of like uh, it's it's like a fact and a half that leads into something, maybe a teaser for a future episode or a Ooh. nice little uh, direction to a rabbit hole you can go down on your own. Kev's closing fact for today's episode is the reason the taste of artificial banana flavoring and artificial banana flavored products 
doesn't taste like bananas is that it's based on a type of banana that was wiped out by a plague in the 1950s. Okay, I have a lot of questions here. Yeah, okay. I have... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I have no answers, but go ahead. I, I know, but we're, we, we're still going to talk about this. This is still only fact 1.0. We have 0.5 as well. Well, is there any reason why they have not, Updated since it? the 50s... Updated the banana flavor. I don't think that the artificial flavors something? could fly anymore with whatever the hell they're putting in them. They got approval in the 50s, and I bet that they're just riding that certificate all the way through. <laughs> That's <laughs> like surely. benzene and fluorine and who knows what else in there. That's all kinds of terrible shit that makes stuff taste like bananas. But... <laughs> No, that's not true, because if you were making, like, asbestos cigarettes, once they banned asbestos, you couldn't be like, well, I was making them before. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't have an answer for you. But I it's do know. It's a good question, isn't it? It is, it is a good question. And Update the bananas. I'm going to take a page out of your book, and I'm just going to go, that's a good question, and move on. All I'm saying so, is update the bananas. <clears throat> Here's another little interesting thing about bananas. Uh, United Fruit Company in 1954 helped the CIA overthrow Guatemalan President Jacob Jaco, Jacobo Arbenaz, Arbenz. I'm really bad with the name here. United Fruit Company, <laughs> 1954, CIA overthrew Guatemal Guatemalan President. That company, the United Fruit Company, is now... Chiquita, Chiquita banana. bananas. Yeah. <laughs> Chiquita banana the, uh, has a very sordid past. Uh, the banana I massacre. I believe that's the origin of Cuba. the term banana republic. Yeah, banana republic. That's the origin of the term banana republic. So if you want to go down a rabbit hole, check out the Chiquita banana uh, Wikipedia. It's very fascinating. We could almost do a show on it. It's and something if else. you can give me an answer, because this is going to keep me up at night. As to why they haven't updated the bananas! Matt, that's a great question. Thank you and good night. Bye! Thank you for listening to Fact Smacks. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to hear more, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash facts schmacks. Or you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube or on twitter.com at factschmackedpod. We also have a website, factschmacks.xyz, because we know you haven't had enough yet. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>